Good evening, everyone. Good evening to you, my dear friends. It's good to see you. Good to see you tonight. Hope you've had a good week so far. Certainly is very pleasant outside. It's good to be together tonight to study uh, and to grow together. Jan, I think Stan, he's, he's having a good time right now. He's camping in. No, he's back. Oh, he's back? Does he leave Greg by himself? Is Greg, is Greg here tonight, too? Oh, okay. Well, I'm behind. Look at that Facebook. So I'm behind about six hours, probably. You don't camp, man. Yeah, no. And look, he was having a good time. He's kind of camping in, though. All right, go in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be able, We need to finish up um, uh, lesson. 16 and we go to 17, or mainly going to be in 17 tonight, uh, but it's going to be Matthew chapter 7, and you are reaching the end here, believe it or not, it's been a good journey together. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into our class, let's pray. Holy God, thank you Father for blessing us to be together tonight, to stay together, to learn and grow together. We're thankful for this powerful sermon preached by your son 2,000 years ago, the greatest sermon ever preached, and we pray that you continue to bless us as we make our way through it, and as we can consider some important things tonight. Father, we pray for our young people and the teachers who will be laying your word on their precious hearts, and we pray for our shepherds as they continue to lead and guide us, Father. We pray for your hand of blessing on all your people in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. This past Sunday, we considered the first six verses of Matthew chapter 7. We looked at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and we saw that in those verses, Jesus is talking about discipleship. Talking about discipleship. He's talking about discipleship in, in that particular context, but it has to do with how we judge others. Now, some applications I need to make that I, that I didn't get to Sunday, but I want to make tonight from that particular section include, first, understanding that it is not forbidden in the Scriptures for disciples to make moral judgments. Okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about there. He is not condemning or forbidding us from calling out sin. Now, that's how the world uses that text, right? That's what the world wants us to believe. The world wants us to believe that Jesus is saying that we can't make any kind of moral judgments. We can't say things are wrong after we are educated by the Word of God. That is not what the Lord is saying there. The Lord is not saying that it is wrong to make a moral judgment after you study the Word of God and look at what God's standard is. There's nothing wrong with it at all. If that was the case, if that was really true, then we got a whole bunch of contradictions found in the Bible, don't we? Look at the Apostle Paul. What is Paul doing in 1 Corinthians 5? What's going on in 1 Corinthians 5? There's a brother in that church who's guilty of what? Yeah, he's with his father's wife. And does Paul go, well, you Corinthians, don't judge that brother. Leave that brother alone. You can't judge him. Is that what Paul tells them? No. No, quite the opposite. Paul's upset with them because they have not rendered a moral judgment. They had not been doing what they should have been doing in that particular situation. Yes, Tony? Yeah, because I remember years ago, I was having a conversation at work with someone in a Pentecostal church, and he kind of went that way because we were talking about something. And he says, well, he mentioned this first. He says, well, if, unless you don't have any sin in your own life, 
you can't, you know, you can't point out someone else's sin. <laughs> we'll get to that in just a second. I mean, I, I kind of know what he's saying with that, but he's wrong where, where he's going with that. Because what he's really trying to say is you can't make any kind of moral judgment because the, we're all sinners. Okay? So we definitely don't want to go down the path he's going with that. But the point is, Paul, who was a sinner, the chief sinner, as someone who studied the Word of God and lived by it, he was certainly right in telling the Corinthians that they should have been dealing with that situation. That's the point. Christians, what makes God unhappy is when we don't make moral judgments. It's when we don't call out sin, especially when it's among the people of God. So we got Paul here in 1 Corinthians 5, and then in Galatians chapter 2, Peter's involved in hypocrisy. Remember that? What is Peter doing? Well, he's guilty of, of causing division in the church. He's treating the Gentile Christians, you know, one way in public and another way in private. In public, he ate with them, he act like, or in private, I'm sorry, he ate with them and act like it was all good. But in public, when he got around the Jews, well, now he's treating them differently. He's not treating them as brothers. Did Paul say, well, I'm not going to judge you, Peter. I have a right, I don't have a right to judge you. Peter, uh, he told Peter to his face, you're wrong. You're in sin. In front of people. In front of people. This is public. Okay? So once again, we have a Christian making a moral judgment. He's calling him a hypocrite. And speaking of Peter, what about what Peter does with Ananias and Sapphira? Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 5. They're trying to pretend like they're like Barnabas. They're, they're trying to act like they're more generous than they really were. And, and Peter told them, you're liars. That's a moral judgment. You have not just lied to men, but more importantly, you've lied. you lied to God. you lied to the Holy Spirit. That's a moral judgment. And then what about Peter with Simon the sorcerer? Remember Simon the sorcerer? He tried to purchase the ability to transfer spiritual gifts. He tried to purchase that with money. And Peter said, let your money perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no right, no portion in this matter. He said your heart is not right with God. That's a moral judgment. Do you see how this all through the Bible? So, so Scripture can't contradict Scripture. I want to go to one passage here that I think will drive this home. Can somebody read for us? Raise your hand if you don't mind reading John 7, 24. Many of you know where we're going there, don't you? Who could read? Raise your hand if you don't mind reading just one little verse for us. Dave, could you read that please, sir? Uh, John chapter 7 and verse number 24. Do not judge according to appearance. But judge with righteous judgment. Jesus. It is on everything you've been talking about. Jesus said, judge a righteous judgment. There's a judgment reserved for us. It's a righteous judgment. Somebody tell us what's a righteous judgment. What do you think a righteous judgment is? By God's standard. By God's standard. Ryan, that's it. We can't say it no better. It's judging it by God's standard. It's studying the Word of God, getting educated by the Word of God, learning the Word of God, and calling something right or good, right, good, or evil or bad, based on what God has said. Because who ultimately has the right to, to set the standard for morality? God does. Because He's the one who made us. He's the author of it. He's the author of it. So there you go. There's your verse. John 7, 24. We have... The right to make moral judgments if those if those judges are coming from God. Jesus is not condemning that. But secondly, here's the second second application. What Jesus is condemning here is hypocritical judgment. Now that's different. 
Okay? And that goes back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. We'll just look at it again real quick here. Matthew chapter 7, 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck, a little speck, out of your brother's eye, and behold, you got a log, a big old beam, a raptor, raptor coming out of your own eye. You, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is not saying it's wrong to notice the speck. He's not saying it's wrong to even help your brother with the speck. What he is saying is, before you do that, make sure you have your own spiritual life first. Make sure you're not doing the very thing you're trying to condemn somebody for. That's what Jesus is saying there. Get the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to help somebody else. My wife actually told me uh, after church Sunday, she was going to make a, a comment, and I thought it was pretty good what we discussed, and I, I like to share it right now. It was the comment of, you know, when we take the speck out of our own, or the log out of our own eye first when going to that brother, that, that's going to put in us some humility. It's going to put some humility in us because we're going to realize, okay, well, I'm going to my brother with this problem, but, but I had it too. I, I struggled with the same thing. That puts some humility. But when we don't notice our own situation first, when we go to the brother and try to help him, we're going to probably go with an arrogant attitude, a, 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 a hypocritical attitude. So I, there, there may be something even deeper there that Jesus is trying to get us to realize. So it, it is not sinful to make a moral judgment. It is sinful to try to help somebody with something and, and, and you're doing it first. That's a point. So why do a lot of people in the religious sector, you know, take this verse and say, unless you don't have any faults of your own at all, <laughs> then you, should, you really shouldn't say anything. Well, I think that's very simple, Tony, because they don't want you to say anything. They don't want you to say anything about what they're doing. That's the point. It's not because they're trying to be accurate with the Word of God. It's because they don't want you to condemn, they ever condemn anything they're doing. That's the point. Like, like that coworker, he said, do you have any fault of, of, of your own? Any faults in your own life? I said, yeah, well then, you shouldn't say anything about that. Well, I would ask him to give me a scripture for that. Go on, go on offense, not defense all the time. Uh, yes, Don? The woman taken in adultery, what did Jesus tell the crowd? That's what I was going to say. Yes. No. And a lot of people draw from that that, well, we can't do any, we can't take action unless we don't have any sin in ourselves. And that's not what Jesus is doing. And who, is Jesus, who is Jesus talking to in their context? Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? Yes. A bunch of what? You think Jesus knew that? Because <laughs> he showed us. He showed us here. So we're not dealing with honest, genuine people. They, but I know what you're saying. Now you got to teach that lesson. Yes, because that's, that's where they're coming from with that. And they're abusing the text. And they haven't considered all that Jesus dealt with in his ministry, particularly with those guys. Right. Who are a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, yes, Ryan. And I don't know if you want to get into it or not, but I, did we talk about a whole lot about the standard of measure and it will be measured unto you? That's my next point here. Sweet. Because that's the next application. There you go. Okay, but I think Rick wants to say I, something. I, go ahead. Yes, when, then I'll go to the next one. Right. The, the true danger comes when we try to exalt ourselves and disparage others. And, and that's a, a, a cheap way to um, attain some moral superiority that I have that you don't have, and that attitude makes us like a, a divine judge, to be like God, and that's definitely 
not where we're supposed to go. That's exactly right, Rick. I like that a lot. You know, this attitude where we're, we're not careful. We think we're the standard. We're the ultimate judge. And that brings us to the third application, actually, going with what Ryan is saying, with Rick, with Rick is saying. Another thing we want to, to apply from this is, according to verse 2, it is wrong to make it our mission to be a constant fault finder. That's what Jesus is really talking about in verse 2. When he talks about the way you judge, you will be judged, and by the standard you measure, it's going to be measured to you. What Jesus is talking about there is this attitude of, I'm always going to be just watching you and seeing what you're doing wrong so I can just pounce on you. And Jesus' point there is, if you live your life that way, if that's how you live, guess who's going to come back at you the same way? And can do it and be right on the money with it. God can. Do we want God to do like that with us? And come at us like that? If that was the case, I don't care how holy we think we are and how much we go to church and stuff, we're not going to be saved. We're not going to make it because we mess up all the time. And sometimes we may mess up and don't even realize we're messing up. Because is anybody here, is anybody here willing to say you have perfect knowledge of God's word? Is anybody here willing to be arrogant enough to say that? I'm not. That's why when I pray, I say, God, forgive me for the things I know that I've done wrong and forgive me for the things I may not know that I've done wrong. Because I don't have perfect knowledge of your word. And just look in my heart and see I'm trying my best, please. Brother Ryan, go ahead, sir. So, and, and yes, I understand that whole measure side of it, but I've always thought in a little bit more to myself, if I'm going to judge Rick by a certain measure, by God's measure, right. or a harder measure than my own, and if I do something wrong, he's going to judge me by that same measure that I judged him. I think that can be applied to Right, it. so that, that's how I've looked at it. I got to take into account the whole beam and spec, right? If I'm going to judge somebody hard on a measure, because they, and I know that they're a sinner just like I am, you've got to be careful in how you approach them and how you take care of them, because you too can open yourself up for the same measure of judgment that you're judging. I think that goes back to the Sermon on the Mount, right? Ryan, you're right on the money with that. I think that's an excellent comment. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. So when we, even when we are going to people, judging them by God's word, it's not just what you say. It's also what? How do you say, how you say it? And I think that kind of goes back to Paul's teaching in Galatians 6, that when you go restore a brother, you do it in a spirit of love. A spirit of love, a spirit of gentleness. Because isn't that how you want somebody to come to you? So I think that I think that's very good. Last thing, real quick. I think y'all are making great points, just excellent points. Last thing, and we gotta get moving. As far as discipleship also here, in verse number six, you know, the first few verses we're talking about how we should deal with each other and, and the judgment that that we give towards each other according to God's word, but there's also some judgment that's needed with when, when we deal with the world. And Jesus says, use good judgment when sharing the gospel with the world. That's verse 6. Avoid giving that which is holy to dogs. Avoid giving that which is holy to pigs. My understanding of that is don't waste your time giving the gospel, the word of God, the kingdom of God, which in the Bible is called a pearl and something very sacred. Don't, don't, don't waste your time giving that to people who don't want it. <laughs> God made this, made us with the ability to choose. People have a choice to make. And we don't need to waste our time giving the gospel and the kingdom to people who do not want it. 
Go in your Bible, please, to Acts 13. Peggy, can you help me with this? Because you brought this up. And Mike, I'm going to let you go ahead and make your comments, sir, while we turn to Acts 13. Go ahead, sir. I was just going to say, that was Paul, part of Paul's argument with days and genealogies and spirit things. Don't bother yourself with all that stuff. That stuff just goes down the wrong rabbit hole. That's absolutely get, right. Get out of that stuff. Preach the gospel. If they don't want to hear it, that's good. You're done. Speak it. Go on with what you said, Mike. Preach the gospel and just leave it there. Yeah. Hey, could you read Acts 13, 44 through 46, please? I hope I'm right on this page. That's what I had in my notes. Yeah. Acts 13, 44 and 46. This is Paul when he's preaching the gospel in a synagogue. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So Paul says these people by rejecting the gospel, they had judged themselves. They, they, they had condemned themselves. And Paul here is doing exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. He's like, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to some people who are going to be more receptive. If you don't want it, I did my best. I did it in love. I gave you the truth. It's on you now. I'm going to go to these people who want to obey God. That's Matthew 7, 6. We as Christians need to be able, okay? We need to be able to judge when people are being dogs. Does that make sense? We need to be able to judge when people are behaving as pigs. We need to be able to judge when people are being receptive to the things we're saying and when they're not being receptive and even being hostile, trying to tear us into pieces. That makes sense. Yes, ma'am, Peggy, go ahead. Along with what that, that scripture, it was important that it went to the Jews first because that's how it was commanded by God. Romans 1.16. Right, Peggy? Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first. For they should have been the ones most prepared for it. And then to the Gentiles. So Paul followed God's plan. He did what God said. He preached the gospel to the Jews when they rejected it. Paul says, shake the dust off my feet, like Don told us about last uh, last class, and I'm moving on. That's evangelism. That's what it's about, make it, being able to use some judgment. Yes, sir, Brother Dave. And why is this important? It's important because if we get so downhearted because someone won't listen to us or accept what we have to say about God's Word, that'll stop us from doing the work that we need to do. Exactly right. I remember my, my first local work in Florida. I had uh, studied with two ladies. First two ladies I studied with when I moved there. I was 25. Both obeyed the gospel, became Christians. But then their brother, who's a preacher of a, like a denominational church, he, he found out what they had done and he found out about, you know, they were part of the Church of Christ now. And then he started, you know, telling them that we were speaking lies to them. And we were telling them things that were not true, particularly about baptism. And they both left. And I remember when that happened, I couldn't sleep for days. Couldn't sleep. I was, it just worried me. It ate at me. And I hate to say it this way, but when you do it a little bit, you know, you do this a little bit longer, you realize more and more that my job is just to teach. You, I, you take it personal. I'll take it personal. Like they rejected me. <clears throat> But when somebody rejects the word of God, who are they really rejecting? 
But I but it's so sometimes we take it personal, don't we? Sure we do. That's your passion. Yeah, you are like, oh man, like I did something wrong. I didn't teach something right. It's something I could have done better. And probably I could have done a lot better. But I did my best and I stayed true to the truth. And I needed to learn, you know, that this is God. This is God's message. And I need, you know, Paul didn't take it personal. Paul says, I'm moving on. I gave you the truth. I'm moving on. That's how we gotta be, and we gotta be able to use some judgment to do that effectively. Yes, sir, Don. Then we'll get moving. Go ahead, sir. Similar. Paul's uh, talking to uh, Timothy. First Timothy, uh, chapter five, verse six. Mm -hmm. If thou put the brethren in the remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane yes. and old wives' tales, and exercise thy thyself. Unto godliness. That's that's kind of where Mike was going too. It's the same idea. That's good, Don. That's another. That's more passages that need to be put with this because it's only emphasizing what Jesus said. Y'all, y'all are doing excellent tonight. Okay, let's so let's move on to Matthew seven, verse seven, because you know we're talking about having good judgment, right? We want to have. We want to use righteous judgment. We want to use good judgment when we're dealing with the world. How do we do that? How can we do that? Well, one of the things we do is we need to pray about it. You want to have good judgment? You want to know how to be able to recognize when somebody's been a dog and a pig? Pray about it. That's what Jesus goes next in the text, isn't it? Look at Matthew 7. Matthew 7. And we'll look at verse number 7. Let me get over there. Jesus here, right after saying that, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a snake, will he? He will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who's in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? So allow me to have just the floor for a few minutes to try to explain some things going on here, if you don't mind, please. And then I definitely want to hear some things you have to say. I think we will agree that this is another abuse text here, particularly uh, verse 7. You probably heard that one quoted some, right? Now this was not as quoted as much as Matthew 7 verse 1, but it's still quoted a lot. It's still abused a lot. And so, and I want you to answer this out loud. Just think about it. Is Jesus teaching in this text that God will give us just anything we want when we pray? Just whatever you want, ask God and He'll he gonna give it to you. I told you I don't answer. I'm joking. <laughs> you couldn't help yourself, but that's good. I like that. That's Jesus. That's, of course not. We, we know that's not what God is saying. I mean, think about parents. We got a lot of parents in here. Do parents do that with their children? Whenever your kids ask you for something, you just give them whatever they want. I'm pretty sure Dave did not do that with his sons when they were growing up. I remember when Shawn Michael was a little boy, uh, by two or so, he would want to eat red meat, the meat right out the pack without us even cooking it. He wanted it right out the pack. It just looked good to him. He would beg, cry about it. You think we let him do that? No. But he wanted it really bad. And Faith, sometimes Faith, she can't swim. She wants to go to people's houses and get in swimming pools in the deep end and can't swim. She wants to do that. Should we let her do that because she wants it? No parent does that. We're not wrong for not giving our kids anything they want. In fact, that's called parenting. It's called good parenting. 
As parents, we can't always give our kids just anything they want because what they want may not be what is what? Right. What is best for them, what is right. Now, we understand that when it comes to us as parents. A lot of parents in this room, you don't give your kids just anything they want. You know that them being younger and immature and not having a lot of wisdom, they may ask for some things that's not what's best for them. We get that. Why do we fail to get that with God, though? Because the same principle. These verses here are not talking about Christians have a blank check when it comes to prayer. That's not what these verses are talking about. These verses are not saying that we can treat God like the genie in the bottle. Instead, what these verses are talking about is when we pray, we need to use prayer as a mechanism to demonstrate our trust in the fact that God, you ready for this? God is good. That's what Jesus says in the text. Prayer is something that we use to demonstrate our trust in the fact that God is good. God is a good God. Look at what he says here. Look at the text very carefully with me, okay? In these verses, Jesus is using some, some metaphors to talk about prayer. There's three you find in verse number seven. You see the three there? You can use prayer as an opportunity to first ask. Second is seek. And then third is knock. Ask, seek, knock. Those are metaphors there for prayer. Okay. They're also verbs. Yes, for action. Yes, action. So ask, seek, and knock. Now, here's the key verse in the text. The key verse is not so much verse 7 as it is verse 11. Verse 11 is really what these metaphors are all about. If you then being evil, and that's us, sinful men, okay? Compared to God, we're evil, all right? We're sinful men. And if you, if Dave, if me, if Rick, if Mike, if all these wonderful mothers here, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, all right? How much more will your Father who's in heaven give what is good? You see? To those who ask Him. See, this is about using prayer to demonstrate that I understand God is good. Whatever I ask God for, I'm going to ask it knowing that however He responds, it's going to be good. good. Do you see that? This is, this is not about using this prayer as a blank check. Okay? Because if we treat prayer that way, you know what's going to happen? If we think prayer is about God giving us whatever we want, when we pray for something and we don't get it, you know how we're going to feel about God? He's bad. He's holding out on me. He had an opportunity to give me what I wanted. He said he could do everything. He says he could do anything. He won't give me what I want. So God is bad. See, that's what happens when we treat prayer like a blank check, like, like God the gene in the bottle. We, we go into it with the wrong thinking, and when we don't get what we want, we get angry at God. Jesus says, don't do that. Understand that God is good. Understand that prayer is a mechanism we use to demonstrate our understanding that God is good. We depend fully on the goodness of God. So Jesus, before you get to verse 11, he emphasizes that with a couple of illustrations. He talks about loaves and stones. Loaves and stones. The stones on the beaches of Galilee. And I've been on the beaches of Galilee before. You know what they look like, the stones on the beaches of Galilee? They look like loaves of bread. You go to the beaches of Galilee and the stones 
Especially in ancient times here, people thought they looked like loaves of bread. So what parent, what father, what father at this time would give his child a stone that looks like a loaf of bread when his child needs actual bread? <coughs> would you do that to your children? Your children are hungry. They need some food, some nourishment. You give them a stone instead of bread? Would you do that? One of the things that always pains us as parents to see our children hungry. I mean, Janicia, Sean Michael would be hungry at midnight. She, he, I'm hungry. She won't let him go to bed hungry. I don't care. Like You go have to wait till tomorrow, brother. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's how Janicia is. And she's a true mother. Whenever those kids are hungry, they eat. It's just that instinct. So what father would give his child a stone when he asked for bread? And what father would give his child a snake when he wants a fish? <coughs> what father would do that? The point of this language is to suggest that God is a good father. There's a lot of great fathers in this room. But none of them come close to God. You get that? God is a good father. God is the best father. God gives us what we need, not always what we want, but He gives us what we need when we need it. That's what Jesus is saying there. Jesus says that God knows how to give good gifts, and He is willing to give us good gifts in His time. You see, like a little kid, like Shawn Michael when he wants that red meat as a two-year-old, or like Faith when she wants to jump into the deep end of the pool, we don't always know what's best for us, do we? We think we do, don't we? We think we know what's best for us. I want, I want this and I want it now. I want this job. I want this spouse. I want this kid right now. I want this house. I want this and I want it now. We think we know what we want. And we think we know what is best for us. But sometimes we don't. In fact, most of the time we don't. Have you ever had a situation in your life when you prayed for something and you didn't get it when you wanted it? Or maybe you didn't get it at all and years went by and you looked on that and you thought to yourself, man, that worked out, that worked out really good for me. Have, have you ever been through that before? Man, I am so glad that that didn't work out like I wanted it to at that time. God was looking out for me. I didn't realize it. See, that's why when we pray, we need to trust God. The main thing I want to emphasize here is when we pray, we need to trust that God is good. God, this, here's my request. Here's my request. I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, but I trust that you're good. I trust that whether you give it to me or not, or whether you give it to me years down the line, it's going to be because you're good. You're looking out for me. No matter what happens, you're a good father. You're going to take care of me. You know what's best for me. That's what Jesus is saying. Do y'all see that? That's what the Lord is saying. Let me pause there. Maybe you got some comments here. Brother Don, go ahead, sir. I keep thinking about the, the people that Jesus is talking to when He says, you search the Scriptures daily because in them you think you have eternal life. Can you see him Here I am. <laughs> yeah. You're seeking something that you're not going to get because you don't understand what you're reading and how you interpret it. And we often go into things with, with that same thought. I know what I want rather than looking at the Scriptures and finding out what we need. Yes. Absolutely. I got 45 minutes on, Lord, thank you for not saying yes to a lot of the things I asked for. 
That's a great thought there. How, how often do we pray that, Don? God, Amen. thank you for always looking out for me and not giving me the things I thought I, I wanted or needed, but you knew what was best. That's a prayer that needs to be made. That's thinking outside the box there, Don. That's good. Go ahead, Brother Mike. Yes, sir. Just going outside the box or peeling the onion back a little bit. Yes. Isn't it interesting in this text that we talked about how you judge, who do you judge, how do you want to be judged? And then he goes into prayer and says, when you ask, who's going to make the judgment on your request? <laughs> God. Oh, God is. Because God's good. And you know what God knows? He knows the outcome before it starts. So here you are at this point, but he knows, like you just said, what's over here? Yes. And that's not going to work for you. That's not what I want you to do, so you're not going to get it, or that's going to work out great. That's right in line with what I want you to do. I'll make the judgment on that because what am I? Oh, I'm good, and I'm righteous. So Jesus follows it up judging. Who, who is the righteous judge? Call our Father. And the Father, I like that a lot, Mike. The idea of Jesus in this whole context here is talking about judgments and judges. We've had to make it times. And yet when it comes to prayer, the one who makes the ultimate judgment on that God. is God. Whether you need it, or and not. if you do need it, when do you need, you need it? it? Exactly. That's a, that's a great, great thought, Mike. Wonderful. Brother Tony, yes, sir. Then we got to so, get this last verse in. Sometimes I think this kind of contradicts the free will concept. Like, for example, you pray to God. You say, I want this dog. Well, I could go to animal shelter tonight and bring a dog home. You know, I have, you have the free will to do that, you know. Yeah, or I can pray, I can pray, yeah, I want the spouse. Well, I can go on match.com and spouse do, tomorrow. Do you, do you not think God has something to do with that? You bought that dog. Who gave you the money to get that dog? Okay. God did. Right. So if it wasn't God's will, see, you got, that's the problem with us as Christians. We, we, don't, we fail to see God in so many different aspects of life. If God doesn't drop it out of the sky and do a miracle, then he didn't work. Mm -hmm. Now, if I bought that dog tonight, then God still has something to do with that. Or same thing if I go on Match.com and I have a spot God has yeah. something to do with that. God has more to do with than we give Him credit for. We put Him in a box so often. You know, we put God in a box. I've been guilty of that. We put Him in a box. Where if God don't, yeah, we limit it. We, if He don't fall, drop it out of the sky or do it in some supernatural Houdini kind of way, then He didn't work. Right. No. If I bought the dog, guess what? God blessed me with that because I had a job I could make money by the dog. It's still God. Did y'all see that? If I find a spouse through an internet, that's still God. He's providentially doing something. I mean, I understand he's still doing something. If I pray for a new car, a Porsche, or whatever, and I go buy it the next day, guess what? That's still God. Because God blessed me with the money to buy it. It's still God. we got to start learning and see God in so many different ways in our lives. Not just this miracle stuff, but in providential stuff. That's where he's really working. Yes, sir. Say, it, that's kind of like where I was going. We need to take the focus off on material things. Yes. And look at some of the, the, the spiritual blessings that are ours. Yep. And I think those spiritual blessings are contained in that prayer that Jesus taught, like forgiveness. Yes. Uh, lead us not into temptation. Uh, so many different things. You know, so often we focus just on the physical bread aspect of the prayer, but it's the 75% of that prayer is the spiritual aspect. It's the spiritual. And that's what we really need to be seeking, asking, and knocking for. That's the good. And that's what God's always going to give you. Because that's why Jesus dies. They give you that forgiveness and that access to heaven. Uh, last thing, real quick. I want to say something. And we're okay. We actually 
if I'm not mistaken, Rick, we got a review class, and we can actually use that to, to not review, but to finish this up. Uh, so I think the last class is going to be actually next Wednesday in here, if I'm not mistaken. So we're good. But in verse 12, And everything, therefore, treat people the same way as you want them to treat you, for this is the law of the prophets. Does anybody have a different translation in that you could read for us? Mine's, I'm going to read mine again. And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law of the prophets. Anyone got a different rendering of that? Yes, ma'am. Mine says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Yes, thank you. What, what translation is that one? ESV. ESV, very good. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so, is that, is, that, is, that ES, is that ESV? Really ESV? Yeah. Okay. So, let me say something about this verse real quick. This is another verse that's quoted a lot, isn't it? Mm -hmm. This is another one of those verses. The key word here, if you have a translation that has the word therefore, Anywhere in that first part of that, okay, or so, therefore, there's, you know, different, you get the idea. This word indicates that this verse is concluding the previous thoughts. You know that from basic Bible study. This is concluding the previous thoughts. Now, some say it's concluding verses 1 through 6. The idea of judging, you know, you, you, you be careful with this, you know, treat people right, treat them like you want to be treated in this. It could be, now just listen to this. Just hear me on this. It could be a concluding thought on the whole sermon. Mm -hmm. Jesus wants us to understand. Because think about it. Where are we in the sermon? Well, we're at the end almost. Okay? We're about to get into the invitation. Of, you know, preachers do an invitation. Well, verses 13 to the end, that's your invitation. Mm -hmm. That's the invitation of the sermon. So verse 12 could be right before the invitation. Here's the whole point. My teaching is designed to get you to do something. We've been talking about your heart a lot. That's fine. Get your heart right, and then once you get your heart right, go do something. Go act. Go do good things. This verse, and hear me on this very carefully, is not about just being nice to people who are nice to you. This verse is not about, well, go live your life, and you just treat people good because you want them to treat you good. That's not what this verse is about. This verse is about doing good, being active. Understanding that Christianity is a doing religion. Everything Jesus has been trying to teach here or teaching us is designed to get us to do something. The Good Samaritan. Jesus said, I taught you the parable, go, do, likewise. Another passage, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Go do something. Matthew 25. You remember that judgment day scene in Matthew 25 where Jesus talks about the, all the nations going to be gathered before him and he's going to separate them like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Is Jesus there when he gets those people in front of him and he judges them? Does he say, okay, how many church services did you go to? I want to know that right now. That's your ticket into heaven. How many Bible classes did you go to? How many Bible reading schedules did you finish? Am I saying that's not important stuff? No. But what is Jesus talking about there? Well, remember, he judged those people based on the good works they did for other people. Did they visit people? Did they give people food and water? Did they, did they take, try to take care of their brothers? Jesus here, this is the last thing I'll say, is saying that being a disciple requires not just avoiding doing bad things, but it also requires doing good things. I'll say it again for emphasis. 
Being a disciple requires not just avoiding doing bad things, okay? But it also requires doing good things. Doing good things to other people. That's what Jesus is saying there. Now we'll dive more into that on Sunday, Lord willing. Good discussion tonight. I appreciate all your comments. I thought it was a rich discussion. And